Good morning, Sailorville. Glad you're here. Glad you came. Find your Bibles. Open them to Ephesians chapter 1, if you would please. Ephesians chapter 1. We are actually resuming a series that we began well over a year ago, but we, we, we set aside for the last 10 months for other series. So we're going to be sort of bringing ourselves back up to speed a little bit this morning. So you'll kind of bear with us just a little bit. Um, here's a question as we get going. Uh, how, how would you describe your relationship to God? Is it real? Uh, is it deep? Is it powerful? Uh, do you love God? Do you really love God? Because the answer to that question for real is going to determine whether or not you have power in your life and in your walk with God. And I think the book of Ephesians is going to help us out to that end, because there are many, and just in recent days, I've, I've heard of so many weird, unorthodox views of certain things like the Trinity. Just the other day, a friend uh, got a hold of me and had this strange view, and I, I realized this friend of mine was not connected, really not deeply anyway, to the local church. Where do these strange beliefs, heretical ideas even come from? And I think the answer is from a serious lack of having a biblical foundation of both faith and practice. So we are talking about the church when we talk about the book of Ephesians, and Jesus is the head of the church, amen? The church was his idea. Paul said to Timothy in that first pastoral epistle, the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth. The church that is making more people more like Jesus, that's our mantra around here, understands that it's Jesus' church. He started it. He's building it. He wants us to be telling the world about him. And the church should be living for the glory of him, for the glory of Jesus Christ, right? It was Jesus who said, I will build what? My church. I will. Future tense. So, sorry, if you're one of our covenant friends out there who embrace covenant theology, the church did not, that phrase you're looking at tells you the church did not exist before Jesus made it exist. It was still future to even him. It did not exist in the Old Testament. When did it begin? Well, he told us when it would begin. Remember, just before he ascended into heaven, he said, not many days from now, the Spirit of God is going to come upon you, and you're going to be empowered by him. And 10 days later, the Spirit of God came upon those 120. They were filled with the Spirit of God, and they began to preach the gospel as we know it. You say, well, how do I know that's when the church began? Well, because later on, Peter, explaining to his Jewish friends that he got back together about the amazing circumstances around a, a, a Gentile, uh, a Roman centurion who had come to Christ by the name of Cornelius. He said to his Jewish friends, the Holy Spirit fell on them as on us. And wait for it, at the beginning. Have you ever read that? You ever wonder what he meant by that, at the beginning? What he meant was at the beginning, when the Spirit of God came upon the church in Acts chapter 2. That's when the church began. So the church really did have a beginning. 
It has an ending on the earth anyway. We're told in 1 Thessalonians, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and those who are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air and will always be with the Lord, and therefore we can comfort one another. Amen? So that's the ending of the church. That is here on earth. But speaking of beginning, at the very beginning of our study of Ephesians, over a year ago, we said that until Jesus' return, the church needs to be doing several things. Quickly, here's what we said. We need to be passionately sharing the gospel. Paul said to the Corinthians, woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel. If I do this willingly, I have a reward. If against my will, a dispensation is pressed upon me, he said. That's why we are compelled. And, we should, and here's the whole point of this sermon, this introductory sermon back into Ephesians, is what is the thing that compels you to share the gospel if it compels you at all? Because all of us, if we realize the riches that we have in Christ and the terrible circumstances that we have been extracted from, we would be compelled to tell people about Jesus. We said that until Christ returned, the church should be deliberately making disciples. That's the whole more like Jesus part, right? More people, more like Jesus. That's making disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations. Amen? We said that the church, until Jesus' return, must be regularly seeing people identify with Jesus. We're going to be baptizing a bunch of people out of Big Creek next week as they identify with Jesus in obedience to his word, who said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, right, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's how we identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. We also said that that kind of church will be intentionally evangelizing the world, not just evangelizing your block, your, your street, or your workplace, but the world. Remember, Jesus said before he ascended into heaven, you're going to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and to the what? Uttermost part, to the ends of the earth. Even Psalm 67 says the same thing. It says, Lord, make your, the Lord make his face to shine upon us that your name may be known among the nation, your saving power amongst all peoples. Let the peoples praise you, O Lord. Let all the peoples praise you. That's the heart of God. And so the church, until Jesus returns, must be in, in, intentionally evangelizing the world. And not just the world that's already been overrun with Christendom in a powerful way, like the United States, but that 1040 window where almost nobody hears about Jesus. And God has put it in my heart that we reach that 1040 window. I'm meeting secretly with a couple of other people this Thursday with a missionary from a closed country who just baptized people in his backyard not long ago, which in his country, punishable by death. Not just the people getting baptized, but for baptizing them. I want to be involved here because I want to be obedient to this great commission, which is intentionally evangelizing the world. And finally, we said that the church, until the return of Jesus, should be actively engaging in spiritual warfare, which is what the whole sixth chapter of Ephesians is all about. Lord willing, we'll get there. So the church, Jesus started, built, and is building his church. Are you in it? 
I'm really, like, I'm asking the question, are you in it? He said, Paul says in the book of Ephesians that the church is his workmanship, his poema, his, his work of art, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. The book of Ephesians could be divided very simply, like doctrine and duty. That's Paul, classic. Doctrine, heavy, heavy duty on doctrine in the beginning, hinge point, how to live for Jesus. Doctrine and duty. Some people like to break it up and say it's, it, it's talking about uh, sitting, walking, and standing. We sit in the heavenly places in Christ when we know him. We're walking with Jesus in this world, and we take our stand against the devil and all of that in chapter 6. My personal favorite is wealth, walk, and war. We've been, that's where we left off in the wealth. All, we just sang about the riches that we have in Jesus Christ. When we contemplate, when we really ascertain, assimilate all that we have in Jesus, it will explode in your walk with God and help you in your walk with God. That takes place in chapter 4. And then the warfare again in chapter 6. So wealth, walk, and war is really kind of the, the way I'm breaking up this epistle. So, as I said, when we, when we left off 10 months ago, we were talking about the wealth we have in Jesus. And we're talking about Ephesus. It's in modern-day Turkey. It was the capital of Asia Minor. It was a major trading route in those days. Paul spent three years there, left tearfully, Acts chapter 20. Many of you have read that. Actually, not only did Paul write to the Ephesians, so did Jesus. And he basically writes the epitaph in Revelation 2, when he tells these very people many years later, listen, listen, he said, look at you. You had such a great beginning. You're an amazing church. You're doctrinally sound. You're kicking out people who don't belong there. But you've left your what? Your first love. Just think on this for a moment. That's the church we're studying. And one of the greatest, some believe the greatest epistle in the New Testament. I say it's just second to Romans. It's a great epistle. And it was a great church. But in the words of Jesus himself, they'd lost, they'd left their first love. How does that even happen? Vance Havner was a great preacher for the Southern Baptist last century. He's a virtual quotable quoter. I mean, you could just get myriads of quotes from this guy great man of god when he was younger he got to hear gypsy smith the british evangelist preach gypsy smith was a country bumpkin who got saved couldn't even hardly read but thousands and thousands of people came to christ because of his passion for the truth of god and the gospel of god and his love for god vance havner got to hear him preach when he was younger and then vance havner heard him preach again 50 years later that is, Vance Havner, the great Southern Baptist preacher, heard Gypsy Smith preach 50 years apart in his 80s. In his 80s, he heard him preach. And people were coming to Christ. And Havner said to him, he said, Gypsy, he said, I just marvel. I was so blessed by your sermon 50 years ago when I heard you preach. And now, 50 years later, you still have the luster. You still have the power. You still have, you've, you've got it. What's your secret? Gypsy Smith, very famously, and a hymn was written based off of this response. He said to Vance Havner, 
It's because I've never lost the wonder of it. And therein lies the answer. I'm telling you right now, as we resume this series, if you lose the wonder, you will lose the love. And if you lose the love, you'll lose the power. It's what happens when we lose sight of the unfathomable love of God, as the book of Ephesians brings out. This book, rightly studied and believed and applied, will produce deep love for God and spiritual power in your life that goes beyond knowledge, way beyond knowledge. And this is all, was always the Apostle Paul's concern for the church. They, they would simply accumulate knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, right? Love builds up. We need knowledge. There is power in knowledge without question. But he said to the Corinthians, in chapter 4, he said this to the Corinthians. He said, he said, I will come to you soon, Lord willing. And when I come, I will not know the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. Have you ever read that? And then he said, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. So there's the question. Begging, begging all of us here, do you have that power? And that power is going to come from a genuine love for God. Do you desire that, do you desire that kind of love? A little interaction here, please. Do you desire that kind of love? Do you want that kind of power? Then heed the message of Ephesians. So this morning, allow me to bring us up to speed on our exposition. I know a lot of you weren't here. That's okay. We're going to catch you up real quick. Pick it up in chapter 3 next week, verse by verse, expositionally. But the first thing I want you to notice is that in Christ, here's what we've learned thus far. In Christ, your salvation is more awesome than you ever imagined. That's in chapter 1. In Christ, your deliverance is greater than you ever imagined. That's in chapter 2. And in Christ, your family is bigger than you ever imagined. That's later on in chapter 2 and on into chapter 3 where we left off. So let's get after it, shall we? In Christ, your salvation is more awesome than you ever ever imagined. And so let's, let's look at it. One sentence, Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14, you'll remember just one sentence in the Greek. I mean, I, my teachers used to get on me for my run-on sentences. They wouldn't have liked the Apostle Paul, <laughs> who said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the will of, uh, purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will." According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan in the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. 
in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed, sealed, that is, with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. Period. When we be began this series, I, I, I told the church about uh, a gift that was given me by my kids because uh, I had a, a grill that was shelled out. They gave me a brand new gift of a brand new grill. And I asked everybody, you want to see it? And here it is. I showed it to them. That, that was, that's the way it was at the time. In the box. A year later. I'd not opened the box. Because the grill I, was work I had was still working. Sort of. And I, I illustrated by saying, look, a gift that's not open is not really a gift. Not to you anyway. And, and so I'm happy to report to you today <laughs> that it's been opened and assembled. And it's being used. But I didn't open it. Can you believe it? Somebody in our church, so disgusted in the fact that I let that thing sit there for a year, <laughs> came over to our house, busted that thing open, assembled it, so that I could start using it. Pretty sweet, actually. Hey, that works for Christmas gifts, but it doesn't work for God's gift of salvation. You have to open it. As many as received him, to them God gave the right to become the children of God. Amen? Salvation is something you must receive, and that's why we just read it in verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. That's when you were sealed. That's your responsibility, and some of you are there right now. The box is still unopened in your life, and you still need to trust in Jesus. And speaking of boxes, that's what we did back then. We put we, in Christ, and we had all these boxes on the platform, as many of you will remember. In Christ, all of the gifts that we just read in those 14, or, uh, 3 through 14, that one sentence, are all wrapped up in Christ, and every gift after this comes out of being in Christ. So, for instance, we saw in Christ you are blessed. By the way, we bless God because he first what? Blessed us, right? In Christ you're chosen. Electos. We're elected in Christ. By the way, we choose him because he first what? Chose us, right? In Christ you are predestined. That, that word means to, to mark out a path. And we, we plan our future because he planned our past. Amen? In Christ you are loved. We love him because he first loved us. Amen? And we're adopted into the family of God. We're redeemed. That means to be purchased. Jesus came down and purchased our redemption. And as a result of knowing him, we are forgiven. The word aphiomi means to be hurled away. All of our sins cast away. How nice is that? Amen? And it all comes because in Christ we have grace the unmerited, unearned favor of God. And once we receive that grace, the Spirit of God who convicted us of our sin, who came to live within us, fills us and then illuminates us. He turns the light on, right? And helps us to understand all of this is wrapped up in Jesus. And in Christ, we have an inheritance. 
That's, we take that by faith. God oftentimes, when we're down, as some of you are right now, he reminds you, like he did the psalmist in Psalm 143, he reminds you of his faithfulness that we just sang about in the past. The psalmist said it like this. When he was down, he says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. Have you ever read that? That's what we do when we're down. We remember what God has done. But when it comes to our inheritance, it's what God is going to do. It, you know, to, to go back to God's faithfulness, that takes a good memory. But to go to the inheritance that he's promised, laid up in heaven for us, that takes faith. And he gives us insight to that end. And as we read at the very end, when you place your faith in Jesus, you are sealed. The Holy Spirit himself becomes the seal. And the very guarantee that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? All of that, all of that, and so much more wrapped up with being in Christ. And all of this, we're told, Repeatedly, three times in that sentence, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, amen? So, a few weeks ago, I was at a high school reunion. It was a big one, had a zero behind it. And it uh, wasn't mine, but that's enough of that. But I was, so I'm with my wife. <laughs> Sorry, honey. Let me tell you something. I looked at my wife in the middle of that high school reunion. I said, honey, I'm glad I'm taking you home. You look great. <laughs> she does. Hope I won a few points back for that. <laughs> we're, talking to, um, we're talking to this guy. Was sit, this guy, a widower, was at the table with us. I didn't know him. Mad him. He found out that I was a pastor, yada, yada. A little while later, he comes up to me and says, hey, can I talk to you? I said, sure. He says, uh, I got to tell, tell you what I'm doing. I've, I've, I've worked a lot of miracles. I said, oh, you have? I said, what church are you part of? I don't go to a church. I got my own ministry. Oh, that's interesting. So he started rattling off all the miracles. Hey, hey, you remember that storm that went through here last, last December? I said, uh, no, last December, I don't remember a storm. Oh, man, it was like tornadoes and everything. You don't remember that? I said, no. He said, well, let me tell you something. There's warnings were out there. And I mean, I had the hardware store guy say to me, he said, are you worried about what the damage is going to take place to your farming? I said, and I said, uh, ask anything in my name and I'll give it to you. No, I'm not, I'm not worried about it. I heard the scripture he was quoting, rattled it right off. Because I went down, I, I, I talked to this guy in the church, the church that I'm, I'm not, I don't fit in anymore. And, and he, anyway, so he, he, uh, he, he said, uh, uh, are you worried about that storm? And I said, uh, I said, ask anything in my name, I'll give it to you. I don't know where the storm's not going to hit me. You know what? That storm came through, never even hit my farm. I said, oh, really? Then he went on to tell another miracle, and then another miracle, and then he talked about how, how he healed the dog. That's when I, I, I was done. <laughs> and uh, he looked at me and he said, you know, you haven't said amen to one thing I've said thus far. And that's when I spoke up. That's because you haven't given glory to God for one thing you've said thus far. That's what I told him right there. I said, by the way, our conversation's over. Because all you've done is brag about yourself. And whatever God does is to the praise of his glory, not yours. And that's what it's all about. When we grasp the awesomeness 
of our salvation. Our love for Jesus deepens. Our praise to Jesus heightens. And our power from Jesus strengthens. Don't lose the wonder. Don't lose it. Secondly, we said your deliverance is greater than you ever imagined. That's in Ephesians chapter 2. And when you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, did you see yourself as that? In which you walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom you once walked in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God, but God who's rich in mercy with his great love in which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive in Christ by grace. Are you saved? That's deliverance. Would you agree? Your deliverance is greater than you ever imagined. And when you, get, when you grasp that, you get saved. My wife and I having a Bible study with some neighbors of ours, very dear to us. I think about fifth or sixth time we got with them, and we're going through these studies, our salvation studies, and we got through the third chapter, which is all about not having your own righteousness, but needing the righteousness of Jesus. And before we studied the chapter, I knew that they'd already done it. And I could just see things just, just percolating in their hearts and in their eyes. And I said, hey, before we start the study, I said, what did you get out of the study before we start doing it together? And the man in the home said, I'll tell you what I got out of it. There's none righteous, not even one. I'm not righteous, and I need to get saved. Praise the Lord. His wife said the same thing. They were both saved, along with two others, before the evening was out. Why? How did that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. It happened because they recognized the dilemma they were in, dead in their trespasses and sins. You don't get saved until you recognize that. 40 years ago, this coming Tuesday, 40 years ago, 11.30 at night, I called my brother Mike up. I asked him a couple of questions. He brought me back to the gospel. I knew if I died right there, I'd die in my sins, and I would perish forever. And hallelujah, God redeemed me 40 years ago in two days. Your deliverance is greater than you ever imagined. And you want to know when a person's ready to come to Jesus? They're ready to come to Jesus when they come to the realization. You'll be ready to come to Jesus when you come to the realization that your deliverance is greater than anything you ever imagined. And your dilemma, until you're delivered, is great. Finally, to finally, as we make our way into the verse-by-verse -verse exposition of this epistle, your family is bigger than you ever imagined. You know, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2, all those who place their faith in Jesus become a part of the church. That's what the scripture says. The family of God is not an American thing or a Baptist thing or a Gentile thing. It's an in Christ thing. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, all male or female, all are one in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. 
If anyone's in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, there are what? New creation. When you're in Christ, you're in his family, and Jesus is the head of this home. He's the head of our family, Ephesians 1.22. In fact, go, just for time's sake, go to Ephesians chapter 3. And it's talking about the church as a mystery. It says in verse 4, when you, when you read this, you, you perceived my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel, which would have been just amazing. It wasn't just a Jewish thing. Gentiles were being brought in. The church is a family bigger than you ever imagined. Six times the church is referred to in the book of Ephesians as a, as a mystery. And all that means is something that was formerly hidden. It's now exposed. It's now revealed. And, re, and the idea is these Jews never read about the church in the Old Testament. It wasn't there. It was hidden. This is a new thing God was doing. And aren't you glad to be a part of it? Some of you say, well, if this, is God, if this is God's family, it sure is a messed up family. Yeah, it is. But it's his messed up family, amen? I'm glad he is the one who's working in my life to make me more like himself. And that's what the book of Ephesians is all about. He cares for your mess. He cares for your struggle. He cares for the way you walk with God and the things that just burden you and overwhelm you. He knows you're not perfect and you won't be perfect. But he will continue to work until the day he brings you home. And he won't just bring you home. This family's big. It's anybody who comes to Jesus. White, black, Asian, Hispanic, every color conceivable under the sun and ethnicity. It's a big family. And Revelation 5, verse 9 says, there's going to come a day where we're around the throne, every tribe, nation, people, and tongue, worshiping, worthy is the lamb who was slain, right? It's a big family. Are you in it? That's the question. And you're not in it if you have never seen yourself with that kind of dilemma. Your religion isn't going to save you. Your church isn't going to save you. Your praying prayers isn't going to save you. It's only if you recognize you are a lost sinner headed for hell by nature, a child of wrath, but God, who in Jesus Christ loved us, died for us, rose again for us, and you repent and believe that gospel, that message, really do that, that's when you're in. And if you're really in, then don't lose the wonder. Because in the wonder is the love. And in the love is the power. And in the power, the world is changed through the church, the body of Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, as we ready ourselves for the Lord's table, best, best I know how, Lord, I've tried to compress these three chapters that we've already looked at in times past.
so that we could get into that, your word, verse by verse in the days to come. I pray, Lord, right now for everyone in this room and those watching online that each one of us would ask ourselves this question. Do I still have the wonder? Have I lost the wonder? Have I left my first love? Is this the reason I have no power? Oh God, forgive me. Help me to renew my mind and my thinking about the riches, the wealth that we ha I have in you. All that you've done in Jesus for me. The great deliverance. And with it, a greater appreciation for the greater family of God. Lord Jesus, we love you. But only because you loved us first. Help us to contemplate these things as we make our way to the stations around here, Lord, where these powerful symbols of your perfect life and sacrificial death are. Help us to make sure that we are born again, that we are children of God. Otherwise, we shouldn't take it. And if we are, to examine ourselves, to draw closer to you, renew our love. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So for the next few moments, I want you to think about what resonated, what percolated most in your heart and mind here from this message. Have you lost the wonder? If you're a child of God, this is our time of the Lord's table. You can go over any one of these six stations around here, take the cup, come back, and we'll take it together. The bread represents the perfect life of Jesus, the cup, his sacrificial death. Meditate on what you've learned. Repent of any sins that are keeping you from the love and power of God. And go from here renewed. All right? At your convenience, you may go.
On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, distributed it amongst his disciples. And he said, this represents my body, which is given for you. My perfect, holy body, never sinned. Think about that as you do this in remembrance of him. The Bible says that after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant, and it's in my blood. Of course, he was referring to what would happen a few hours later when he died and shed his blood for us. So, perfect life, sacrificial death, brings with it a great salvation. Amen? A great salvation. And Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Let's stand. Our Father, we love you and thank you. Thank you for allowing us to do so. For loving us first. That in Christ we have so many gifts. And may our appreciation, the depth of our knowledge be such that it causes us to wonder and to be rekindled in our love and in our wonder. So as to be true worshipers, and those who will make a difference because the love will be accompanied with power in this world. We ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name.